Amen.
more time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And you may be seated. Hallelujah. Uh, just, uh, just a few announcements. Let's remember, we got revival coming up soon and very soon. Uh, we start on a Friday evening, March the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. So we'll have Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday evening with Evangelist Jay Boyd, uh, that we're looking forward to being with him again and for him coming and sharing with us. Uh, be inviting. We've got plenty of invite cards. Be inviting. Be sharing. Leave wherever you go. Take some cards with you. Uh, if you go to a restaurant, uh, leave a card on the table. You never know who might pick that up. Uh, if you go to Walmart, how many of you go to Walmart at least once a week? Okay. If you go to Walmart, or if you go to Kmart, or if you go uh, to Food Line, or if you go to some, I mean, just leave a trail of cards wherever you go. And what, amen, brother, watch God. We, that's right, that's right. We, we do our work, then we watch him work, amen? So we're believing for this, uh, for God to work during this uh, revival. Now, next Sunday is, uh, is the time for us to have our Gideon Sunday. Uh, they have not contacted me yet. I don't know who's going to be speaking. It may be me. Oh, well. Uh, so I got a real reaction out of that. The, oh, God, I was expecting at least the, oh, my Lord, uh, so give us somebody else. Uh, but So I don't generally, sometimes they're a little late coming through on uh, giving me who the speaker will be. But, but the last few years, we've had some really good speakers and share with us. And we'll also be taking up our monthly missions offering. Everything we take in this offering will go toward uh, the Gideons International and their work of distributing God's word throughout the world. So please uh, remember that as well. So uh, these are just the things that I want to make you aware of. Uh, and uh, and, and let's, uh, let's see God work and let's see God move. And there is one other thing, one other thing. You know something's coming up real soon, don't you? There's something right around the corner that's very important. Easter, absolutely, is right around the corner. We're already in Lenten season, and uh, so, uh, so we're just looking forward to a great time of celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. I'll be giving you more information uh, later, but we will have some of our regular activities. And again, this year, we're also going to be doing a sunrise service. So we'll be giving you all of those times and all of those dates uh, in the next, uh, next couple of weeks. So please remember that, and please uh, be, uh, be all thinking about who you can bring with you on Easter, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Okay, so with all that out of the way, uh, let's, uh, let's get back our focus to why we're really here, and that is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And today what we're going to be uh, focusing on is Jesus the perfect Savior. Jesus the perfect Savior. And there's a scripture I thought just goes so well with this, and that comes out of the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, one of the greatest descriptions of Jesus Christ that we have in the Old Testament. Notice this is just a portion of this, the first six verses of Isaiah 53. He starts with the question, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, 
and is a root out of a dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Somebody say amen. 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 Let's stand together and let's continue to worship him. Thank you.
worthy of all the glory. All the honor belongs to you and to you alone. We're just instruments, oh God, in your hands. Lord Jesus, we're just, Lord, servants, Lord, that have been called by your name. Lord Jesus, created in your likeness to show your glory throughout the whole earth. And Father, Lord, I pray, God, that, Lord, that you will touch us now, bless us now. Lord, as you respond, Lord, our praise is unto you. As we give you, Lord Jesus, the honor that is due unto you and you alone. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to our God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. As the praise team is coming down, we're going to pray for, for intercessory prayer, again, at the end of the service, but we're going to have another prayer at this time, uh, and this prayer that we're going to be praying is going to be over the blessing upon the uh, message, um, just as I hope most of you uh, pray over your meal before you eat it. Um, I, if you don't, you need to do that. You, you need to pray over your meal, especially if you eat out. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, it's a great witness. I love to go in a restaurant, and I love to see a family over here praying over their food. You know what that tells me? It tells me that's a Christian family over there. It's a family that loves the Lord. Not ashamed to pray in front of him. But another thing, my God, I don't know whose hand's been in that food I'm about to eat. And I want to sanctify it in the name of Jesus, amen? That's what the Bible tells us. Pray over it. Pray over your food. That's what the Bible teaches. We don't just do this because it's tradition. This is not just a good southern thing. This ought to be everybody's thing is pray over it. Because I've been in some places I'm thinking, my Lord, I don't know if I can eat this or not. So you pray, and you pray hard. Remove every impurity out of it. Well, there's no impurity in the Word of God. Amen. Amen. So we don't have to pray impurities out of it. But what we do need to pray is, Lord, open up our eyes and help us to see your Word. Open our ears, and please, God, help us to hear what the Spirit of God wants to speak to us through your Word. Open up our minds, God, that we can conceive of that word and open our hearts that we can receive it and it becomes a part of who we are. Will you help me pray over the meal of the word of God this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, we stop in this moment and God, this is an important prayer. Lord Jesus, as we pray over the message that is about to be delivered, God, it is based upon the word of God. So, Lord, I know it's the pure Word of God. I know it's holy, it's righteous, it's good. And, Lord, it's good for our, for our eating. It's good for our nourishment. It's good to help us, oh God. 
But Lord, we can only be good to us if we receive the Word of God. So Father, Lord, may we now receive that engrafted Word. May we receive it into our hearts, into our lives, into our souls. And Father, Lord, may you bless it among us. And Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, this is not a selfish prayer for me, but I need the anointing, God. I need, I need a touch from heaven. For Lord Jesus, I'm feeling the weight. Lord, I don't feel it just today, but I feel it every day. But God, I am feeling the pressure of the enemy. I am feeling the push of the enemy against me, oh God. And Lord, I know it's because we're praying more. I know it's because, Lord Jesus, we're seeking you for this revival. I know, God, that the spirits are being stirred up, and they don't like what's about to happen in our midst, oh God. So they're doing everything they can to oppress and to keep us down. But thanks be unto God, I know someone greater than he is. I know someone greater than all the powers of hell. I know a Savior, a living Savior that loves us and died for us and is the living word among us. So God, that's all I need. So Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord, I don't even ask you to make preaching easy. But Lord, I ask you to make it fluid and make it understandable and help me to minister the word of God to this congregation today and whoever's listening in. And we'll give you the praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. Well, good morning again. We're glad to have you in the house of the Lord. Those that are joining us via internet or whatever platform you use, we'll wel- we welcome you uh, into our sanctuary today. Uh, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a travel weekend. We got a lot of people sick, so we got a lot to pray about at the end of the service, and uh, we will hold that again until that moment. But let's hear the word of the Lord. We're still in Hebrews chapter 2 again, and so we're going to be going to verses 9 through 18. 9 through 18, Hebrews chapter 2. So let's listen to what uh, this has to say to us. And I know, I know let, let, me, let me, before I read it, You've got to understand, and keep in mind, I've told you this in the introductory sermon, but let me, let me just remind you of this. There, this. This whole message is so steeped in Old Testament theology, okay? There is just a lot about the Old Testament, about the sacrificial system, things that we, we know so very little about that sometimes it's hard for us to relate to this. But really what you need to see and what I want you to see through all of this is that everything that God gave Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness was pointing all the way to the future and to the coming of Jesus Christ. And this is what the author's trying to tell him. That that your forefathers looked for, that that your forefathers believed in, that that your forefathers went through, they were just practicing for the coming of of the Messiah. And see, I'm convinced that today, everything we're doing right now, everything we're doing in our lives, we're just practicing for the coming again of Jesus Christ. We're just getting ready for the being that eternal place with Him. Amen? So, so if this gets a little difficult, gets a little weighty, Please understand, I didn't write the book, and so I can't, I can't alter it, and I can't make it but too simple for you. So let's just listen to what he says, and I'll try to break it down for us. So starting with verse number 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, 
for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Now, this is so important to the context of this message, that he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for those who are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, of which, uh, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Insomuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise share in, this, in the same, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subjected to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and a, a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make perpetuation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Now, there's, that, that's a mouthful. Boy, there is so much contained here. So let's, let, let's begin to break it down. Now, the idea of a Messiah, now this is what he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus Christ as a Messiah. The idea of a Messiah was not a new concept. That has been something, that was something that had been around for, for, for generations, from the very beginning of humanity. Now, in the fall of, Ab of Adam, God promised that a Messiah would come to deliver mankind. That was the promise. And throughout the ages, the prophet foretold of this coming one, this Messiah who would come. Also through the ages, there have been those who have risen up who claim themselves to be that Messiah. Even Jesus in, in the Gospels, he warned that in the last days, there will be those who will rise up claiming to be the Christ. And we have seen that even in our own generations. There have been tons of lunatics out there. Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the wacko and Waco, y'all remember him, David, uh, David, whoever he was. Uh, he, claimed, he, he claimed, and you know, the, the wonder of it is, those poor people believed him. That God that, that led those, uh, those thousands of people uh, to Guyana and, and a thousand people committed suicide because he convinced them that he was the Messiah. He was the Christ. Jesus said if anybody else comes up, if anybody ever comes up and proclaims, I am the Christ, you can go ahead and chalk them up. False prophet, false prophet, false prophet, false prophet. Because there's only one Jesus. There's only one Messiah, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. John MacArthur, in his commentary, and I'm used, I've been using him uh, strongly in all of this, 
But in his commentary on, on the uh, book of Hebrews, he, he gives his he give this thought about uh, his thought about this very thing. He said, How is it that we know that Jesus Christ is in fact the perfect and only Savior? Why should we believe that? What qualifies him as being the perfect Savior? I'm going to take his questions that he asked, and I'm going to give some answers to this, of why Jesus Christ is the perfect Savior for us. Now, there's many things that qualify Jesus as being the Savior. However, there's one thing that qualifies him above everything else. I'm going to talk about more in this. But every, this is one thing that qualifies him to be our, be our Savior, and that is he died. Now, all these other wackos and, and quackos and, 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 and schizos and, and, and minos and whatever you want to call them out there that, that, that have come up and said, I've got a new way, I've got a new thought, I've got a, a new Christ to present to you, I've got a new God I can give to you. See, the difference is between us and all of them. See, they've got saviors, they've got deliverers, they've got healers, they've got all these people. But the difference between our savior, our deliverer, and our healer, a common thing is they all died. But the uncommon thing about our savior is he rose again from the dead. We don't serve a dead savior, we serve a living savior. And that is the one thing that qualifies him as being the perfect Savior of all of mankind. Now, in his death, Jesus became several things. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and listen for you, then we're going to break them out. Jesus, in his death, became the substitute, the captain of our salvation, the sanctifier, the Satan conqueror, and the sympathizer for all of humanity. And so, as we look at these five things, I hope it will give you this understanding of why we can proclaim that Jesus Christ is the perfect Savior, not only for me. See, folks, you got to get, you got to get, got to understand. He's all right for me, but if he's not all right for you, let me tell you, we can't take that approach in this world. That's the way our culture teaches us now. If it's okay for you, that's okay, but it's not for me. Let me tell you, Jesus died for me and you. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for every soul that ever came into this life and in this world. Jesus is the Savior for all of man. And there is no other Savior but Jesus Christ. So, let's get started. You get the first one. The, uh, the substitute. Let's go back to verse 9 again. Notice in a phrase that comes out of there. By the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. I told you that's important, and it is important. You see, when Jesus died, he didn't just die for a cause. He was not some misunderstood individual who came along and nobody didn't really understand him, but they, they, they believed that, that, that he had something good about him and people followed him. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't just die for a cause. Jesus died for all of humanity. And I know I keep saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it again. And so in that, 
He became our substitute in his death so that we would not have to die. Now, the scriptures are emphatic about the penalty of sin. When you look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, if you really look at it honestly, you will begin to understand the real gravity of the penalty of sin. For literally millions, maybe even billions of animals were sacrificed for the atonement of the sins of many men and women and children. Over and over and over again, these animals were sacrificed. For that moment, they became the substitute. But they were not the substitute. They could never wipe away sin. They could never take away sin. They, they, could, only, they could only cover sin at best. That's, that's the best they could do. And nothing else. You know, we find that the prophet Ezekiel, in his prophecy, declared, the soul whose sins will die. That's what he said. And then Paul echoes that same sentiment in his Roman letter. He said, the wages of sin is death. Absolutely. So there's no escaping the fact that how someone could take our place, but it couldn't be just anyone could take our place. That someone who took our place is Jesus Christ. And he literally bore in his body and in his death, he bore our sin with him. He stood in, his, in our place. He died for you and for me. Now consider these passages of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be, uh, to be testified in due time. 1 John chapter 2. And he himself is the perpetuation. That word means substitute for our sins, and not for our onlys, but also for the whole world. And then in Isaiah again, we read a portion of this uh, in the words from the Word. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I want you to notice in this passage, let me stop here just for a moment. In this passage, words, he used the word all. This reference, all, is not just a reference to the nation of Israel exclusively. The word all in its context and in its connotation means all of mankind. So when it was written this, it's not he's just the savior of Israel and nobody else. No, he's the savior of the whole human race. And it said God the Father laid upon him the burden of redemption, the penalty, the only price that will satisfy sin is the penalty of death. The soul that sins, as Ezekiel said, will die. Everyone who sins will die. But through Jesus Christ, He bore that penalty for us. He took it. The Father laid it upon Him. So the, so the universal nature of the redemption of Jesus Christ is just as universal as sin itself is. So it's very important we grab hold of that. And then, then also in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. So Jesus is our perfect substitute. Now let's move to the second thing that qualifies Jesus as being the perfect Savior. Now again, in which is he's the captain of our salvation. Now let's look at verse 10 again. It says, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now from this verse, there's two phrases that I think we need to look at to hopefully gain some understanding of what he's talking about here. The first phrase is, it was fitting. It was, that sounds like a good southern term, doesn't it? That was just fitting. It was fitting. So what, what does he mean by that? Now, what, is, what seems to be the understanding here is that it was fitting. Another way of saying that, it was not out of God's character to do what he did. It was within the character of God to send his son to pay the price of our sin. Now, John MacArthur, in his, comp- uh, in his commentary, he noted five things here which I think are important, and I'll just, I'll just mention them. First of all, it was consistent, this act of God in sending Jesus Christ into the world to become the sacrifice of our sin. First of all, it was consistent with his wisdom. There was no human or angelic ingenuity could come up with this plan. Secondly, it was consistent with his holiness. For God demonstrated how much he hated sin by what he did with Jesus Christ on the cross. The third thing, it was consistent with his power. There, was, there has never been any other greater demonstration of the power of God than the cross of Jesus Christ. And then it was also consistent with his love. For you remember that, John, that we find in the Gospel of John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what he did on the cross was consistent with his love. And then finally it's consistent with his grace. It's consistent with the grace of God because this plan costs you nothing. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. You can't labor for it. You can't manufacture it. You can't, you can't do anything. It's God's plan, and it's just up to us to receive the plan of God. And then with the next phrase here is the captain of our salvation. Now, why do you think you threw this in here? Well, to understand, we have to look at a Greek word. I, 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 know, I know y'all not impressed with this. But, and, and, uh, but Archegos. Now, that's probably not the way it's pronounced, so that's the reason I put it up so you can see it. Now, this word in the original language can be translated as captain, forerunner, author. What it, what it really epitomizes here is that like a pioneer, now, most of us don't, don't, don't know anything, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to the West. I didn't, I didn't pioneer nothing. But a pioneer is somebody that goes ahead of everybody else 
and cuts the path for everybody else to follow on. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. A friend of mine, a Vietnam veteran, he, 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 he started a ministry, because it was not unique to him. He started to be a point man ministry, because when he was in Vietnam, that messed him up so severely, but when he was in Vietnam, one of the things he did, he was a point man. And what a point man did, a point man took a machete and would cut their way through the jungle, cut the vines so the rest of the troops could follow. Who do you think was the first one that was shot at? The point man. Who do you think was the first one in the enemy sight? The point man. And so what he's saying here, when I thought about that, I thought about my friend Perry. I thought about what, what the point man does. And Jesus Christ in this, in this context is our point man. Jesus is the one who went before the rest of us. Jesus is the one that cut the way in the jungle. Jesus is the one that paved the way to heavens. We talked about last week. There is no way you can get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. You can't fly there. You can't, you can't, buy, you can't buy, buy a plane ticket there. You can't get on a ship to go there. Uh, oh, man, if we could, we could call it a cruise, man. We could load up a cruise ship and, and, take them, uh, and take them to heaven. No, you can't do that. You've got to go the path that Jesus Christ forged for us. And that's what Jesus did. He became our archagos. And that captain, that leader. And so therefore, Jesus is the perfect captain of our salvation. Now this brings to the third thing that Jesus became that qualifies him as the perfect Savior. And that is the sanctifier. When you look at verses 11 through 13, it says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given unto me. Now, when you think about sanctification, there may be all kinds of things that come, come to your mind. But let me just simplify it for you, as best as I know how. To be sanctified is simply to be fit to do God's service and God's bidding. Just as you can't save yourself, you can't sanctify yourself. You can't, you can't clean yourself up enough. And it's not, when I was growing up, and, and, and went to Sunday school and church occasionally. I mean, the big thing, I, I came in a holiness church. Now, that, that, that gives you all kind of connotations. And, you know, there won't nothing right. You could cross your eyes, and that was a demon. I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. You, you could... You, 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 had to, you had to wear your hair a certain length. And men, no, 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 no. You, you have long hair. Us hippy-dippies, I mean, we just, we just rebelled. 
My, my daddy threw up scripture to me. It's a, it, don't you know it's a, it's a sin for man to have long hair? Well, he, that, that's what the Bible says. I, I didn't say it. That's just what God said. You know, so, so I had a skewed view of holiness. And back then, they talked about being sanctified often. And you had to be sanctified. And, and to be sanctified, Lord, there was more packs of cigarettes that were offered on the altar than you could shake two sticks at. I grew up in tobacco country. Everybody smoked. But in the holiness church, if you were going to be sanctified, that means you had to put something down. And so men and some women, they would lay, I mean, that, I mean the, the altar would be covered with packs of cigarettes because people laying their sin down. So I had this image, I had this vision of sanctification, of being holy, all tied up in what you did or what you didn't do. But once I became a Christian, I began to study the Word of God, I understood that holiness had nothing to do with what you do. Holiness has everything what God does in you. And if God does that in you, you know what behavior will follow. See, it is tied to behavior. But I, in my opinion, my ancestors got the, got the cart before the horse. They wanted you to start doing, and then you'd be sanctified. No, 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 no. You got to be sanctified, and then you'll start doing. You'll start living right, being right, serving right, worshiping right. And you say, well, I don't feel holy. Well, you don't look holy. Newsflash. What does holiness look like? Well, how you live your life. Attitude. In, in, in our day and time, I, I, I am picking, I am picking. I, I'm, I, please, please forgive me. You know, to be holy, a woman had to have her hair down, never cut her hair. And you remember those Holy Ghost bonnets? Now, I'm not saying, look, look. My grandmama had a Holy Ghost bonnet. Until it got so thin, she didn't have any hair. But you know, for a lot of people, that was a source of pride. Look how holy I am. The higher you pack it up, the holier you're, you are. But you know, <laughs> but you know what? You know what I discovered? Now, son, now, my grandma, she was an exception. She was a sweet woman. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm picking now. I know you, some, of you want, you want, you, some of you just want to slap me. I, I can feel it right now. I feel a spirit of slap in the room right now. But you know, some of those holy Women didn't have holy mouths. They were harsh and hateful. And they never spoke a kind word to anyone. They never smiled. What you doing? And when the telephone come along, my God, they'd love to get on that telephone. 
and carried the news about everyone. Now, that's not describing everyone, but what I'm saying is you can put on the appearance of being holy. You can wear only gray and black. You can, not, you can cover every part of the skin that you've got, and you can call yourself holy. But if you're not holy on the inside, if you're not being right on the inside, if you're not glorifying God through your life, I think when you're holy, you ought to be a happy person. I think you ought to have a smile on your face every once in a while. I think you ought to have a good encouraging word for someone every once in a while. I don't think you should be taking your Bible and just constantly beating somebody over the head, even though that's what you think I'm doing all the time. You understand what I'm saying? When Jesus came to us, He came and He sanctified us. Us. He became our sanctifier. He made us holy. And as I've already said, once Jesus makes you holy, then your behavior will follow what Jesus did has done in you. So, so since, 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 I've, since, since I've, I've, I've stirred up the spirits, let's move on to something else about sanctification. For you see, when, 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 when Jesus is our, is our sanctifier, there's something else that's very important in Him, in, in here, that I, I want you to take notice of. Notice, notice he, he said, He made this declaration. He said, for which reason He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know if you get this or not. I, I, don't, I don't know if this, this sinks in to, 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 to your psyche or not. But the fact that, that, that Jesus calls us part of his family. Now, another term here is used brethren, but that includes men and women. That includes all of us. That God calls us his family. And that we're part of his family. Now, I know, I, 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 I know, I, oh, let me, mm, 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 I'm, 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 I'm already in trouble, so let me just go ahead and just go, go a little deeper in the water. Now, now I, I've, got, I've, I've got a few people in my family I'm a little ashamed of. Have you got anybody like that? That you're just a little ashamed of? You, you, you really don't want anybody to know that you're kin to them? You know, because, look, I'm just being real with you. Because sometimes people identify me with my kinfolks. But you see, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his children. Amen. And you know what? And because he's not ashamed to call us his children, then we should not be ashamed to call him our Savior. Amen. So, so when, 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 when we say Jesus is our sanctifier, he makes us holy. He makes us fit to be part of His family. He puts us in, in the living room with Him. And when we go out into the public, you know what? We shouldn't be ashamed to call Jesus our Savior, should we? Have you ever been in a situation that, that you, you, you felt you didn't want anybody to know you were a Christian? You know, sometimes you get in a situation, you, I... I I, I, I don't, 
I don't say nothing. I'm, I'm afraid what they might say back to me. Let me tell you, the Word of God tells us if we're ashamed of Him, He'll be ashamed of us. And we should not be ashamed to call Him our Savior. We should not be ashamed to call Him our Savior. We should be, we should be proud. Just like I talked about praying over your meal in public, don't ever go into a restaurant. Please, don't ever go into a restaurant and not pray over your food. It is a testimony of who you are. It's a te- you, you will bless somebody else. Oh, some might, some, some might say, well, that, 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 that's, that, that's just a bunch of hypocritical Christians. But that's all right. Let them say what they want to say. But you demonstrate, leave, just like I'm talking about, leave a, leave a track, leave an invite card in Walmart. It is okay. Get one or two things that happen. Either get in somebody's hand or to get in their trash can. But somebody get hold of it. We should never... Be ashamed of telling people who we are. Now, now the, the approach I take, I don't, I don't, I don't just automatically go, now I'm a Christian. But you know what? If you talk with someone long enough, it'll come around. If you talk to somebody long enough, it'll come around. Something to be done. A door will be open for you to say something to them. And you don't, you know, you don't have to be abrasive with it. You don't have to be, you, you don't have to be holier than thou. You ever meet any of those kind of folks? They're so super spiritual. They're so full of what they claim to be. Oh God, God, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. They claim to be so full of the Holy Ghost, and really more they're full of themselves. Those kind of people turn other people off. You just need to be a genuine, genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And if the subject comes up, hey, I'm a, I'm a follower. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now, if they don't want to engage in the conversation, turn it off, you don't have to press it any further, but you've let them know who you are. And that's, and that's where, when we have to stand up in our culture, we have to stand up against all of these, uh, the, the, these factors that are working against us, that want us, you know, that there was a time in our culture that, that, that if you mentioned the name of Jesus, that was a wonderful thing. Everybody would applaud you. Now they want you to keep it under the rug. Look, he didn't save me under a rug. He saved me on a cross. He didn't save me in a back room. He saved me on a hillside. He didn't save me in, in private. He, saved, he died in public for all the world to see who he was and what he was and what he did. And so therefore, I'm under obligation. It's all part of being sanctified in now let, let, let's let's uh, let, let's move on to the to the next thing, and that this is the fourth thing, and that Jesus is our Satan conqueror, and we find this in verses fourteen through fifteen. 
Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, I could say a lot here, but I, I said too much in the other one. So let, let, me, let, me, let me get right down to the chase off. Jesus is our Satan conqueror. You know, Satan has a lot of weapons. Y- y'all understand that? Satan has a lot of weapons that he uses against him. But he's got, he's, got, he's got one weapon that is above every weapon. You know what that weapon is? It's death. See, something you need to understand about Satan. Satan never promises or offers to anyone life. And if he does, it's only a facade, it's only a lie, because underneath he knows that he is out to destroy you. That's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to destroy you. So his primary weapon is death. You know why that's his, that's, that's his greatest, greatest weapon? See, because he knows something. He understands something. And I think you know it too, but you need to understand it as well. The reason death is, his, is one of his primary weapons, one of his strongest weapons, is because he knows if you die and go out of this world without Jesus Christ, you are eternally lost. There is no purgatory. There is no intermediate state. There is no reincarnation. There is no doing this thing over again. There is none of this that will ever happen. He knows that once you have died, your opportunity is now done away with. So therefore, if he can keep you under the throes of death, If he can keep you away from Jesus Christ, that's exactly what he wants to do. And he will take every uh, uh, means to do that. But let me tell you something about about the enemy. If If you've got a stronger and a greater weapon than the enemy, that gives you an upper hand, right? Because if you've got a weapon that's greater than the enemy then that means that the enemy's weapon is rendered useless. So you know what the weapon of Jesus Christ is? Eternal life. That's exactly right. That's what Jesus, the weapon of Jesus Christ. For you see, Jesus offers to us life, not death. Jesus offers us an opportunity to live with him forever. So therefore, if you accept Jesus Christ, you negate the the weapon of the enemy. And he has no more dominion. He has no more power over you. We find that, that Paul said in the Corinthian letter, he said, Oh, death, where is your sting. Oh, Hades, where is your victory? He goes on to say the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus conquers Satan by giving life. Then that brings us to the last thing that we need to look at. 
that, that Jesus became in his death. And that is found, which is the sympathizer. And that is found in verses 16 through 18. Notice, for indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all these things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make perpetuation, again, we see that word, substitute for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Now, when we say Jesus is our sympathizer, what does that mean? What does it mean to have sympathy for someone? Well, according to Webster's, we find that sympathy means an affinity, association, or relationship between persons or things wherein whatever affects one similarly affects the other. In other words, sympathy is where you feel what somebody else is feeling. You see, Jesus had to take on human flesh. He had to become like us. So he could experience what we experience. There's another, there's another passage out of Hebrews that describes this. Hebrews chapter 4 and chapter 4 verse 15. He said, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Jesus became, took on human flesh so that he would understand what it is to be human. And Jesus suffered what many of us suffered. Jesus knew what it was to be disappointed. Jesus knew what it was to be frustrated. Jesus knew what it was to love. Jesus knew what it was to have family. Jesus knew what it was to hunger. Jesus knew what it was to want. Jesus knew. He knew everything. He experienced all of these things. He may not experience everything, but he, uh, he experienced everything that we can experience as a human. He experiences body. So therefore, because he experiences, now when we are tempted, and Jesus was tempted like you and I will never be tempted. And so therefore, when he was tempted, he knew how to overcome it. So therefore, when we are tempted, we learn through Jesus Christ how to overcome it because Jesus knows what it is. Huh. So, Jesus is our perfect sympathizer. Now, when you consider that Jesus died for us, by doing so, he became our substitute. He became the captain of our salvation. He became our sanctifier. He became our Satan conqueror. And he became our sympathizer. The only thing, we're, the only thing left for us to do is to exclaim, Wow! What a perfect Savior we have. And if you've got this perfect Savior, you don't need anything or anybody else. That's all you need is Jesus Christ. Praise him if you don't mind making your way on up. Now, I understand this reality too. I've been preaching to the choir. Or maybe not. I don't always know who I'm preaching to. There's a lot of people who listen to this service. 
You know, I, I, don't, I don't know among those of you that are in this sanctuary right now that you're struggling in your faith. But you've got doubts and fears. Maybe Satan's been whispering in your ear of, as of late. I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. I'm not sure that he is who he says he is and he can help me. Because look, 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 let me, t- let me tell you. There's times in my own life. Now, I've never doubted since I accepted him as my Savior. I've never doubted the presence of God. i tell you what I have doubted. I've doubted me. I've doubted am I where, where I, am I where I need to be? I've never doubted Jesus would do what he said he would do. Because he's not a liar. So, so if you're struggling, whether you're in the sanctuary, whether you're listening to me, or will listen to me, please understand this. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're never alone. Even if you feel like the church turns against you, if you feel like man turns against you, family turns against you, nobody understands what you're going through, I want you to understand Jesus understands. Jesus knows right where you are. And you know what? Jesus is big enough to handle your doubts. He's big enough to handle your fears. He's he's big enough to handle your confusion. You know what? I'm just a puny old man. It ain't much to me. Do you know what? Jesus is so big. He is so powerful. He can scoop you up in his right hand. He can cover you. And you know what? Could it be that what you thought was darkness that was gripping you? You thought there was loneliness that was actually God? Jesus had picked you up and covered you in his righteous right hand and he's got you right where he wants you. And when it's time, he'll let the light back in. You'll find no better than Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with us if you will. We're going, we're, going, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song. What a beautiful name. And there's something pretty about the name of Jesus. Amen. This altar's open. If you need to come, you come. We finish this song. We're going to have some prayer time just for a few moments.
If you need to be prayed for, if you need to come to the altar, you come. And we'll be praying with you, okay?
Come. If there's other, if you need prayer, I would invite you to come and join us here. There's a, there's, there's, there's a lot of people who need prayer today. In our prayers, as we're praying, let's pray for Terry Adams. Many of you know prayer for Terry had an accident, crushed his uh, big, his uh, big uh, toe on his right foot, and so he's down for a little bit. So let's pray for Terry Adams and God to bless him. Uh, there's others that are sick. There's flu, COVID everything you can think of. Norma's dead. Let's continue to pray for him today and ask for God's blessings, God's grace upon him. Our revival, let's be praying for our revival and asking for God's grace and God's mercy and moving to God in this as well. So if there's anyone else who needs to come, you're welcome to come. If you just come and pray with us, join us together as we pray for these who have come. I invite you to come and share with us in this prayer. Thank you, Lord. Father, Lord Rick is having surgery, Lord Jesus. And Father, Lord, it's natural in any of us, Lord, to have a fear, God, of what that surgery may be and, Lord, what it may entail. But Lord Jesus, I know, God, if those of us who believe in you and trust in your holy and your righteous name, that, God, you have all power and all authority. So, God, we're praying right now that, God, that you will, Lord, be with Rick. God, that you will be with his surgeon, be with that surgical team. God, bring anointing, bring healing, bring deliverance, and that, God, that it may do, Lord, what it's supposed to do for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. Father, Lord, we also stop and we pray for Cynthia Schoenfeld having surgery tomorrow, Lord, on her back. I pray, God, that, Lord, that this will be successful. God, that she's tried everything, and I pray, God, this is going to be the trick. This is what's going to do it and alleviate her from the pain and the suffering, God, that she has been under for weeks and weeks now. And, God, that she will bring deliverance. Lord Jesus, she will bring healing. You will bring health. And, Lord Jesus, we will honor and bless your holy name because there is no one like you. Now, God, we consider it in the counsel of God to be settled and to be done for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. And Jesus Christ, the Word of God tells us, Rick, to do not be afraid. Only believe. And do not be afraid. God will be with you, son. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Well, I know who's bound you. You don't have to be bound. You don't. Because Jesus saved you. It may not always feel like it. And sometimes it's a mystery. And sometimes we just don't feel the closeness of God. Sometimes that's natural. 
I don't feel don't feel good. But you're not crazy. <laughs> and you're probably not as lost as you think you are. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that sincerely. Because sometimes we get so caught up in us. Jesus loves you more than you'll ever know. So maybe you're not quite as lost as you think you are. You're going to believe that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord Beverly, you, you know Beverly's struggle right now. God, you know, Lord, what she's feeling. And Lord, I learned a long time ago, feelings are fading. They're fleeting. And sometimes our feelings are not even accurate. Sometimes our feelings will mislead us and cause us to think things that are not true and are not right. So God, I'm praying that instead of feeling, replace those feelings with truth. Jesus loves me. This I know. Because the Bible tells me so. This is truth. Jesus died for me. Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. Jesus loves me. That's what the Word of God tells me. The truth is, Satan is a lie. And Jesus is the truth. The truth is, Jesus is the infinite Son of God. Always has been, always will be, and will not change and will not vary. The truth is, Jesus secured for me a place in that eternal home called heaven. Not because of anything I've done or have not done, but He has placed me there because I accept Him as my Lord and my Savior. So God, I may not understand all the confusion, but God, You do. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you will send a sense of peace. The truth is, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, my peace I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. <laughs> that is the truth. So God, give her strength. Give her strength to overcome this obstacle and this difficulty. And God set her free. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll have some more conversations, okay? Anybody else need prayer this morning? Amen. You love the Lord? Amen. The Lord loves you. Okay. A lot of times I give you a blessing. I'm going to let you give a blessing today. And this is going to be the blessing. I just want you, I know, you, I know you may, this may feel a little odd to you, but I want you to say the name of Jesus. Before I do that, I'm going to be serious. No, you're not. 
we're praying for a pastor by the name of Rodney. He has cancer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we stand in here now, and we stand by faith, knowing that, God, that your word is true, that by your stripes we are healed, by your stripes we were healed, by your stripes we are made whole. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray for Pastor Rodney right now. We pray for his congregation. We pray, God, that you will, Lord, intervene. Lord, I know I've walked down that pathway. I've walked down the pathway of cancer. I understand, Lord Jesus, what it feels like. I may not understand everything he's going through, but I understand. And Lord Jesus, and that's the one thing I do understand, that you walk with your sons and your daughters, and you do not leave us, and you do not forsake us. So now, Lord Jesus, touch Pastor Rodney, touch his family, and give them the blessing they need right now of your peace in their lives life and your healing in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 God bless you, brother. Amen. And I don't miss anybody. Anybody else? Okay. This is the blessing. This blessing is not for you. Well, maybe. This blessing is for the one we serve. And you see, I think our Lord, our Jesus, loves to hear his name called by his people. Not just out of desperation. Not just out of necessity. But I think sometimes he just likes to hear his name being called. So this is going to be the blessing. As loud as you can shout. I know he's not deaf. I understand that. He's not deaf. He can hear us. He can hear a whisper. But I want you to shout his name on three. This is the blessing. One, two, three. Jesus! 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 Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. Go in peace. In Jesus' name, amen.